everyone, and welcome to the Expediters Podcast, where you can hear about front-of-mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today we'll be talking about the wild world of cosmetics. We'll start with a primer on the cosmetics industry and how companies are modeled, apply a foundation of knowledge around their customers, add some dimension by understanding trends and changing expectations of those customers, and finally, we'll define the penalties cosmetics companies face when their unique products are mishandled through the logistics process. To save me from making any more makeup puns are two folks from our retail and fashion vertical, regional manager of North America, Rashida Morissette, and regional manager of Europe, Nick Weiss. How are you two doing? Good. How are you, Chris? I am doing well, Nick. I'm also good, Chris. How are you? I am ready to learn about cosmetics. Are you guys ready to talk about it? Yes. So excited. <laughs> Great. I hope we don't make up too much of it. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go ahead and get some background on you too, starting with you, Rashida. Uh, what's your background and your career been like in Expeditors and how did you get into the retail vertical? Um, so I've been at, actually this year is my 10th year at Expeditors. Congratulations. Um, I, thank you. Uh, I'm I got my pin and I'm excited about all of that. And hopefully one day everyone will see it in person. Mm. <laughs> um, prior to joining Expeditors, I was actually a customer. So I worked on the retail side and, and Expeditors was, was um, my logistics provider. Mm-hmm. So I've, been working in the retail industry for many years prior to joining Expeditors. So coming in this role just seemed like a great fit. And I've been in this role for the past three to four years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just amazing how much the industry has continued to evolve. And certainly last year, uh, we, we accelerated all of that, uh, that, that innovation and, and transition. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. And it's such an exciting uh, space to retail. Uh, there are just so many varied products in there, and there's all sorts of different needs and requirements to to get to get them moved. I, I imagine it's a lot of fun, or maybe also high stress, perhaps. <laughs> right, and and the sector is so diverse. Yeah, um, yeah. My background was was on the fashion accessory and cosmetic side, but mm-hmm. there's so much entering the market, new products, new industries. We we know this whole fitness craze, mm-hmm. but in addition to that, some of the legacy businesses like grocery. When we think of retail, Retail, you know, we think of everything from gas stations, restaurants to grocery stores. Yeah. So um, it, it continues to evolve and change. And that's why it's fun and exciting. Yeah, for sure. Nick, uh, what about you? What's your background? How did you get into the retail industry? What's your career been like with Expeditors and before? I'm uh, actually coming up on only five years in Expeditors, uh, not quite as long as Rashida. <laughs> but I've uh, been in the industry uh, quite a few years before that with a few other freight forwarders, always mm-hmm. on the logistics side. And I've been fortunate to to work in the U.S., work across Asia, and to work across multiple locations in Europe. And Mm -hmm. I think just on top of the uh, variety of companies in retail that Rashida talks about, I think the disruption that we're going through right now uh, really uh, put our hard hats on and uh, enjoy the ride and uh, participate in this uh, incredible pace of change that we're going through. I think that'll only increase. Yeah, absolutely. And what's something for that I always like to ask folks, and, and I'll, I'll ask you too, is what gets you excited about uh, the retail industry? I mean, Rashida, you kind of covered in that there's such a diversity of products and stuff coming out, but what else gets you fired up every day? Why do you care about retail? You know, what, what's the trend that I'm the most excited by? I, I tell this this quick story that when I first started out within retail, I worked in a corporate office and I was supporting a luxury department store that we, we actually work with right now. Mm-hmm. And I 
remember that the store was only open from nine to five. Mm -hmm. They took some time off for lunch in New York City Mm -hmm. and pretty much any opportunity to visit the store you have to do in your own time. What, What I'm excited about within retail is how the consumer has become once again the center of commerce. And there's innovation and excitement about enhancing the customer experience and meeting the customer where they're at. And that is constantly evolving. Um, We we see it started, you know, Amazon was revolutionary in that regards, but now we, in in the advent of, or while we're still during COVID, we see curbside delivery, buy in line, pick up in store. There's so many ways to meet the consumer where they're at, and Mm -hmm. that will continue to evolve and change as the consumers do as well. Nick, what about you? What gets you fired up about uh, retail? I think the, the biggest excitement right now is around the disruption in technology as, as mm. well. So we're seeing physical and uh, man-made disruptions, but uh, the, the opportunities that, disru- uh, that technology are bringing into this space are, are scary in one side, but yeah. fascinating in another. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, jump into today's topic, Um, starting with kind of establishing a baseline uh, right now for folks to understand. Um, And would you help me understand the cosmetics industry? Like how big is the world of cosmetics and what kind of companies kind of make up today's market? So globally, the industry is about $532 billion. Wow. So that's the latest estimate that we have. <laughs> and it encompasses everything from skincare to um, personal care to mm-hmm. makeup and all the other traditional things that we imagine. And I would say... Surprisingly, the U.S. is still the largest market within that category. However, we're, we're, there's a lot of competition coming out of Asia, Latin America, and elsewhere. Yeah. The industry has historically been dominated by a lot of the legacy mega beauty retailers. Mm-hmm. So I would say there's probably about seven mega beauty companies that own quite a few of the brands that are out there within the market. So they've really been the ones to kind of lead the way to have the resources to be able to be in a mass uh, on the mass market shelves, as well as on e-commerce and things like that. And there's quite a lot of startups and emerging brands as well coming onto the market. That's maybe not challenging or, or certainly getting the the mega beauty industry attention yeah and, yeah. and what shaking we've things seen up. with yeah, <laughs> definitely shaking things up and and a lot of it is is intentional to get that financial investment so we've seen a mm-hmm. lot of mergers and acquisitions yeah. but there's also a lot of independent beauty companies that are showing an increased focus on their unique customer and mm-hmm. meeting their their consumer where they're at so shifting over to cosmetic customers um, how have they changed over like the last five years yeah, and I think uh, that goes with it a little bit. I think uh, the the biggest change has been some of the uh, changes brought on by by government um, impact and consumer impact and consumer mm. demand. So whether it's um, the aspect of sustainability, again, environmental sustainability, but also other aspects, ethical sourcing, especially in that regard. So we saw the last couple of years um, what was happening when mica was being um, farmed out of India and the mm. impact that had on the industry um, and the reaction of the companies to to support um, the young workers and, and help them get educated and, and build their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the requirements that are coming in for visibility of supply chains is, is going to also drive a lot of behaviors within the, um, the industry. So, 
there's a lot of shifting going on, um, shifting towards a sort of products, the natural side of uh, perfumes and cosmetics, the uh, shifting towards how we source them. Mm-hmm. Going back to, you know, what I think is exciting about retail and the fact that the customers are now at the center of even um, your product assortment. Yeah. There was a time when there were, you know, some um, and, and there probably still is. There were some uh, trendy people sitting in a sitting in a dark room trying to determine what the <laughs> trend would be, yeah. you know, a year from now, 18 yeah, yeah. months from now. The and scent of the year or something. Exactly. Like yeah. And <laughs> exactly. Or the scent of the year, right. the, the makeup of the year, the color yeah. of the year. Yeah. And, and while that still happens a lot, it's still very much driven by consumers. Mm-hmm. It's still very much driven by um, how diverse the consumer base is that we're marketing to. Yeah. Um, I, I think of some of the Instagram followers that, uh, or sorry, I'm dating myself, TikTok followers now, <laughs> um, that some of these uh, younger folks are looking at, and they're really defining the trends and yeah. saying, you know, it's kind of leading the way in some of the things that Nick mentioned, that they want uh, products that are clean of, of um, artificial, artificial and harmful chemicals. Mm-hmm. And that they're looking for more diverse range of products for the, a variety of skin tones and needs and things like that. And, and we're, we're seeing more and more focus on, um, you know, animal free and, and, and more cruelty free. So, mm-hmm. so I think it's really the consumers who are pushing the way forward and forcing companies to, to provide products that meet their unique needs. Something, I, a word that I've seen a lot too is, you know, this push for sustainability. Is that just related to the packaging of cosmetics products or is it related to the manufacturing of these products? It's all, all aspects. I think mm. the packaging is, is is one aspect, especially that relates to the uh, the goods being shipped, um, removal of air that uh, increases the carbon footprint sure. if there's a lot of air. So that certainly, but much more other aspects of the manufacturing um, the generally uh, manufacturing is considered in scope one or scope two of, uh, of a company's uh, carbon footprint, but mm-hmm. actually the, the scope three, which is the including the, the logistics, can often be up to four times more polluting than the own operation. So wow. there's a lot more emphasis going across the entire supply chain. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Uh, Rashida, you were bringing up that, you know, th- there's a definitely been a focus more on the consumer. How have cosmetics companies been responding to these changes and expectations by the consumer? Yeah. And, and I want to comment just even on sustainability. I sure, think that's please. part of the overall initiative for um, more corporate social responsibility mm. that includes sustainability, that includes um, fair labor, social justice, environmental. Um, and, and really the consumer is, is driving a lot of these changes and, yeah. and the, the, the retailers or the manufacturers are meeting that need. But some of the ways that we've seen that they met this need is I, I would say um, just this past month in terms of pride month, it, mm-hmm. it's great to see so many companies responding and celebrating and supporting that. I would look to in terms of the diverse array of products that are on the market and the focus for there to be more inclusive shades mm. so that it's not just limited there. There's a wide variety. I think Fenty was the first brand in a while mm-hmm. that debuted a wide assortment of colors for various skin tones. So there 
are about 42 different skin tones that they came out. Don't quote me on that. I'm quite sure that I'm probably wrong on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's a wide array of skin tones. There's a focus on... Um, products and makeup for men, mm. not only in terms of skincare, but also makeup and grooming. So so there's there's quite a lot of ways that the companies are meeting the consumer. And, and there, there's been a significant pivot that happened during COVID mm-hmm. because we weren't wearing foundation. We weren't wearing lipstick. It was more of a DIY set. How do you um, give yourself that home manicure, that home pedicure, that home facial? And um, some of that, uh, we'll see what their lasting power is, but it's just a great way in terms of how uh, companies have have met the needs of consumers and met the needs of the times, really. Mm -hmm. As we're talking about like the impact and, and kind of shifting products here, cosmetic stores I remember in the old days, we're all over the place and are all, all over the place. But I imagine there was this big shift to e-commerce to kind of satisfy the the buying patterns and needs and behaviors of customers. What other impacts did the pandemic have on cosmetics that I guess consumers might not be aware of or they don't necessarily think about? I think there's a couple of things on that, Chris. First of all, as you said, traditionally where you'd get cosmetics, that's changing a lot, sure. right? Of course, so of course. You've seen a lot of companies, maybe a fashion and apparel company, let's call it, that now has cosmetics and perfumes as well. So that's uh, it's not the usual suspects of where you get it. And now with e-commerce coming into its own, we're seeing a big uptake in, in sales where we, we thought beauty would be one of the slower uptakes into e-commerce, especially because of COVID, it's really shifted. Mm-hmm. One of the, let's say, glaring um, outcomes of, of the COVID situation, though, has really been around travel retail. That's been one of the biggest consumers of, of, of cosmetics and perfumes across all markets. And since the airports were closed down, flights were taken down, then a lot of that business has, has just uh, dried up. Mm-hmm. So the companies that were heavily involved in that have been very heavily impacted by that. Wow. One of the biggest aspects of that has been the Chinese consumer. Uh, go back to what Rashida said earlier about the U.S. being one of the major consumer or sales points, let's call it. Yeah, yeah. But they're also selling to a lot of Chinese tourists in, in, in pre-COVID times. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of the, the Chinese shift was to to try and entice those sales into China because the Chinese weren't able to travel. Mm-hmm. So that's had a dramatic impact. If we look at what's happening in the um, in the Hainan region in China, where they're trying to sort of push up the the tr- domestic travelers in China, so that's really having a big impact. So a not as much chance to buy travel retail, so pushing up the e-commerce side, and really how do we cater to the next Chinese or, or what will happen with the Chinese in a post-COVID environment? Will they find it in China and uh, or will they still continue to travel around the world and buy it? What else is on a cosmetic company's mind? Like, What are they thinking and doing right now as all this continues to shift and, and ebb and flow and whatnot? Yeah, it's, it, it's certainly challenging times in that regard because they've got to try and keep ahead of those um, old ways of, of selling to the consumers. But there's um, a lot of things, again, back on the technology side, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, how you can sort of see what's happening with, uh, with the cosmetics um, without having to put it on. I mean, uh, I can remember... I, I'm blessed to have two young daughters, 16 and 19, and uh, 
their habits have certainly shifted in the last 12 months. Absolutely. Um, not only for the reasons Rashida said that they weren't needing to wear it under masks, but just how do they experience and how do they look towards cosmetics and perfumes? Mm. So I think um, technology plays a very large role in, in how the future of the cosmetics industry will evolve. Mm-hmm. And also, I would I would just add to that, you know, as Nick mentioned, his daughters and I kind of touched on it. There's a lot of influencers out there who are who are really leading the way and and defining the trend. And people who may just be your next door neighbor that you may not realize have a million TikTok followers or something like that. <laughs> right. So you have one at home, Nick. <laughs> um, so so there there there's a lot going on in yeah. in that space. And then I also think you know just some of the challenges with kind of meeting this. Consumer where they are and, and getting the product to them and mm-hmm. just making sure it's intact. Retailers have done a good job of expanding their return policy oh, and okay. making sure that, you know, they're in, in the event, especially during COVID, if they can't try it on in-store, that there's a way to try it on at home and, and right. they have very generous return policy. So there's there's various ways that um, um, we're, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're watching the industry evolve to yeah. meet the consumer where they are. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's actually a great point, Rashida, because that influencer is coming in, in, in different shapes, sizes, nationalities, ethnicity. Everything is changing in that regard. I can mm-hmm. certainly not date myself, but if I look at the <laughs> face of many of the cosmetics brands 25, 30 years ago, it's completely different now how they, how they market. And we've, we've talked about the Chinese consumer. We've talked about, you know, the, uh, the world for cosmetics, but we can't uh, underestimate, for example, you know, what uh, Korean and Japanese companies coming into this space are right. doing, not yeah. only within their markets, not only within the Chinese market, but also in the U.S. and uh, across Europe, uh, whether it's K-pop. And I know, Chris, you love your K-pop. <laughs> so if we look at uh, how that's evolving, it's, it's changing the dynamics a lot on yeah. consumer influence. All right, let's move over to uh, these cosmetic companies as a customer of logistics and freight forwarding. What kind of customer are they? Uh, they're complex um, <laughs> with, with various needs because the interesting thing is that many of many cosmetic companies they're not only wholesalers, they're mm. retailers and mm-hmm. they're manufacturers. So uh, they have they have a global footprint. They not only um, import goods but they export goods as well sure, sure. Uh, to meet this growing global demand. Um, the product requires a lot of expertise, a lot of insight because. Many of them are highly regulated. Uh, oh, there's okay. um, quite a number of uh, government agencies to make sure that what we put in our skin, what we put in our bodies, it's it's safe. Mm-hmm. So I would say these companies are really um, looking to capitalize on the latest trends. They're they're looking for um, insight on not only government regulations in terms of the oversight of the product, um, in terms of the oversight of health and skincare, but also mm-hmm. if there are some dangerous goods, they're looking for insight on that. And and more and more, we're seeing um, even more uh, luxury items. I know, Nick, you, you have, uh, you're seeing a lot of that, especially within the luxury market as well, right? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it there with the complicated products, right? So things like uh, CITES, so exotic animals and the fine fish and wildlife impact of CITES management. It's really making it uh, more complex. 
And we're talking about um, lotion, you know, when you, when you think <laughs> exactly. of that. We're talking about skincare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then uh, outsourcing is a, a major topic for many companies, many retailers, but also in this model, I mean, you talked mm -hmm. about it, they often own their own manufacturing, but they don't do it exclusively. And that shift is changing. So sourcing diversification is, is a big topic within uh, these companies. With that that way that their model, I mean, it sounds like vertical integration, right? Like, how does that change the their supply chains, and what kind of requirements do they have? So, I think um, a lot of the sourcing diversification, um, it, like you said, these companies are were historically vertically integrated, where oh, okay. they control the manufacturing, they control the point to some extent, they they control the distribution and point of sale. Mm -hmm. um, now that we're seeing more diversification, more complex product that can't be done in-house, they're, they're definitely have needs to understand their vendors more, mm -hmm. to understand where commodities are coming from, to manage vendors abroad, um, to understand the regulations and the impact of, of new items, new new um, fragrances. And also, as we saw in the last U.S. administration, that there was a lot of impact on trade. There was a lot of focus on um, with the trade wars. A lot of these goods that were imported had a significantly higher duty impact than they did in the past. Right. So there, there was a focus on managing that and mitigating that and how can um, – they 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 manage that risk that that was uh, brought upon them. It's been shifting over the last five six years, and uh, I think it only continues to increase uh, in, mm -hmm. in how much impact that's having as these companies manage that diversification, all on the sourcing side, as you said, but also on the consumption side. Mm -hmm. So that really brings a lot of uh, challenges, hemisphere challenges, northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. Um, also, uh, from a standpoint of the sort of the consumer, as we've talked about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and so what are the logistics and transportation needs of these customers? Yeah, I think uh, many of those things: uh, duty mitigation, um, managing the increases in tariffs, um, customs brokerage. Mm. Uh, we, we talked about some of the complexities earlier. When, uh, whenever there's an Inco term, a, a new version of the Inco terms coming out, I normally run it by the um, the cosmetics and perfume companies, because if they don't have all of them, they've maybe uh, started to use a few more of their own. It's really <laughs> quite complex. So sure. the customs brokerage picture is, is, is quite complex. And then uh, just managing that whole duty-free piece as well and, and the impact that has. Mm -hmm. And and I would I would just add that you know for for every retailer especially now um, there's a big focus on data visibility and insight yeah. and how yeah. we can provide actionable intelligent information throughout all the products and services from a brokerage side I know we were able to provide customers with um, the impact with with some of the challenges of the 2018 2020 trade wars once mm -hmm. we received a new update we were able to provide our customers with the impact of that update not just say that you know there's something coming in in, in the pipeline but but here's what it means to you mm -hmm. and we're able to provide them with additional information with our sourcing profile so they can 
figure out their options if that was feasible at that point to to change manufacturing. And and just in terms of you know the visibility piece, working closely with overseas vendors so they have insight as to where their product is. Ultimately, a lot of these companies are are moving more and more of their sales to the digital space. And and that's that's a difficult space to compete in. You have mm-hmm. to move quickly, you have to have insight, um, and you have to capitalize on the latest trend. So I think by us providing these customers with data, insight, and visibility, we're able to help them do that. I think maybe just one thing on that, uh, Rashida, is a great point on the visibility. And I think the the role logistics companies have on the sustainability side, starting with providing good visibility, but just uh, taking that forward. Uh, I really believe that the many of the beauty companies are, are leading the way now on their push for sustainability. Partly because, uh, of course, they, they know it's the right thing to do, but especially because consumers are demanding that. Mm, mm-hmm. Again, just talking about some of the um, challenges of e-com, I, I think when you think of a, a beauty product, we're thinking about small items. Um, more and more, we're, we're able to support retailers who used to provide stores pallet worth of goods mm-hmm. um, and move pallet worth of shipments that we're able to support them with their distribution needs and, and move these small packages to end consumers or small packages to stores because now there's a, sh- there's, there's a narrow product assortment, there's a smaller uh, store footprint. Right. So we're able to support our our customers as they expand in new markets and as they um, diversify their product assortment. When you talk about how, how regulated that these products are and the materials that can go into it, like it sounds like there needs to be a serious plan to address any kind of risk. Like, what kind of penalties can these companies face without you know careful service and and attention? Yeah, of course. I mean, the one big aspect is is just reputation. Sure. Um, which will right. have a very long-term financial impact, but just on the goods that uh, could be impacted, fines, of course, um, and uh, often can see a destruction of goods if, if something's oh. not handled properly. Yeah. So uh, that's really, um, of course, I think the damage to reputation is, is it can be fatal to companies. So they mm. really need to, to pay attention. We talked a lot about social media. Um, mm. <laughs> if an influencer is not happy or there's something, you know, I, I remember maybe it was uh, uh, a year ago, there was um, some controversy about a product line. An influencer went and told, you know, her 35 million followers wow. that there are some issues. Um, certainly a company has to address that. Yeah, so I think yeah. more and more as we're um, globalizing our reach, as we're expanding our reach um, and companies are playing within the social media space, there has to be um, some integrity of the product, safety within the product and alignment between mm-hmm. the product values and the influences that they choose to work with. I think actually that it's a great point you mentioned uh, I think it gets a little bit also more subjective, but we shouldn't underestimate the fact that the beauty companies for 15, 20 years have always been very careful with their packaging. Mm. So if you had a, a little bit of damage, even to outer cartons, you were, you were under severe scrutiny, but certainly never want to affect the inner packaging. Right. And uh, I think that's been around, but let's say the response rate from an influencer, the speed of response and the, the, the depth that that impact can have on an organization has become more severe. 
Right, right. And it can just spiral out too. You know, that, that right. stuff is, I mean, it's, it's called viral for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> all right. So my final question to you all is, how have the trends that we've talked about changed the way that freight forwarders service the cosmetics industry? Uh, there's a few things. Uh, Rashida talked there about visibility. Sure. And uh, cosmetics companies haven't always looked at uh, things like order management because they often control the production. They often push those pallets, as Rashida said, they just mm-hmm. push them out because they were needed at all times. And um, they've started to get into more finite uh, challenges, let's say, of understanding the order and managing the order. Mm. So things like order management are are very critical. Um, there's a lot of crossover between the uh, healthcare industry and the retail industry when it comes to cosmetics and perfumes. So oh, okay. developments there within things like good distribution practices are right. also starting to cross over more and more to, to the cosmetics industry. And um, regulations, uh, CITES, hazmat handling, mm-hmm. compliance in general, those are, I would say, mega trends uh, that need to be responded to on, on an evolving and constant basis. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking me through this and the big wide world of cosmetics. I really appreciate the time that you've taken. If folks wanted to get into contact with you to talk more about what you do in the fashion retail vertical or talk cosmetics, uh, how can they get into touch with you? Email, LinkedIn, any anyway, we, we are available. Just reach out. Yeah. Uh, your local expeditors person. Absolutely. Just like you said, Rashida, LinkedIn or through your local contacts. Uh, would love to hear from you. I think uh, one thing we, we didn't talk too much about in the beginning, but Rashida and I uh, learn what we do from talking with customers, mm-hmm. spending time with customers. Uh, they're in the gold mouth. They're seeing what's going on. And uh, we want to support you. We want to support other companies. So um, we look forward to sharing ideas, having feedback. Just please reach out. Yeah. And Rashida's on TikTok. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. But uh, <laughs> I should be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expeditors, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expeditors.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Hold up. 